I'll turn now from healthcare to the tax proposals that have been put out by the White House. And for discussion on that, I'll chat with Tara Thompson Popernick. She's the director of private wealth research for here for us here at Bernstein. And Tara, I think it'd be helpful just to get through some of the reporting and lay out for our clients what the actual tax plan as laid out from the White House is. Sure. So a couple of weeks ago, White House Economic Advisor Gary Cohn and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin briefed reporters on what the White House is proposing. And there's really three key pillars of, of tax law changes. Uh, the first is for individual income taxes. There's a simplification of rates and the elimination of um, the alternative minimum tax, as well as the surtax on net investment income uh, for the estate tax, they're calling for a full elimination of the estate tax, and um, but there's no mention of, of elimination of the gift tax. On the corporate tax side, changing the business tax rate to 15%, and for businesses to be taxed on U.S. source income only, not on worldwide income. So those are some pretty vast changes. Um, the, the net effect of these is likely to not be revenue neutral in that it will lower federal revenue and raise the deficit. So as our U.S. economist here at Bernstein put it, um, these proposals are going to have a potential impact which may result in um, their being just the opening point of a negotiation that will certainly have some back and forth over the coming weeks in Congress. So there's been talk about how much detail was in the plan. You've obviously seen it. How would you describe that? So th this is really a broad brushstroke outline with, with very little detail and, and some questions as to what exactly is going to happen when we get a final bill or when we do get a bill to begin with. Um, this does first have to go through the House and then the Senate. And the hard thing about the Senate right now is that in order to get a bill that's not revenue neutral through, Senate rules require at least 60 votes. Right now, that can't happen unless at least nine Democrats sign on to the plan. Is there an alternative? Well, what could happen is under um, a, a separate Senate rule, they could pass a bill with a simple majority, but it could not be permanent, meaning it would expire within 10 years. So similar to the... Um, Bush era tax cuts yep. that were put into place in 2002 and then set to expire at the end of 2012, we would be in the same scenario um, with the same kind of fiscal cliff 10 years down the line. So, so let's break down some of the individual and business and, and estate tax parts of this plan. On the individual side, what's the outline for what tax brackets will be and compare that to where they are today and what the difference might be for, for a typical Bernstein client? So, so right now you have um, a little bit more gradation in, in the tax code with a top rate topping out for income at 39.6% uh, plus an additional 3.8% surtax if that ordinary income is investment income. And that surtax is known as the Obamacare surcharge, so that's related to healthcare, which we just talked about. Co correct. Should, should that, um, the healthcare bill with the repeal of that tax stand, that tax will go away. Um, even though it's not only used for funding Medicare, it was originally called the Medicare surtax, it can be used to fund other items, but it's gone in the, at least the House version of the bill that was passed last week. So if I'm a Bernstein client and I have high income, I'm paying 42 plus percent federally before I even get to the state level. 
Right. And what would that look like now? So, so if that 3.8 goes away, yep. your top income tax rate goes to 39.6%, 20% on capital gains, okay. um, which is a little bit lower than it is right now. However, of particular interest to our clients is that the income tax plan broadly is going to eliminate the itemized deduction for state income taxes. So clients of ours who live in, say, New York City or California or even other places that you might not think about as high tax, like Minnesota, could see their total overall tax bill increase simply based on the fact that they can no longer deduct the um, tax brackets. Um, what they're getting from their what state they're getting tax. What they're getting from their state tax, exactly. So, um, so that, under, that, and that's yeah. going to be for a lot of our clients, their biggest deduction. Right. A, a biggest deduction uh, across the board is going to be their state income tax. Now, the new plan, of course, you're giving up that state income tax deduction, but you're going to simplify the bracket structure drastically where you're going to have a 10, a 25, and a 35% tax bracket. So that top rate goes from 39.6 now to 35. And I'm dropping the Obamacare surcharge from going from north of 42 down to 35. Five, so I'm saving right. myself 7% plus on federal taxes. On federal taxes. In the simplest form. Right. But you are going to still pay full fare um, with both state and local. So net-net, it may not actually impact a lot of people. It's going to depend on where the, where the client's living and what the situation is. Exactly. What deductions will stay? Uh, charitable deductions and mortgage interest deductions. The, the two ones that seem always non-negotiable. The, the two that always seem non-negotiable, and I, I'd encourage anyone who's really interested to um, take a look at the New York Times Magazine this weekend. They have a long article about mortgage interest deduction and, and who benefits and who doesn't, because that it's a really interesting, although um, politically uh, toxic, piece of uh, the tax code to touch. Right. So. There's also this talk on the, I'm putting this on the business side, that may not be exactly correct, correct me where I'm wrong, that the top business tax would, the top business taxes would go down to 15%. Is that right? Correct. So, so there's this notion that high net worth investors, Bernstein type clients could set up family partnerships or LLCs so that they would look like a business and then not be at, even though 35 is better than 39 or 42, then they don't come all the way down to 15. Do you think that's possible? Is there any precedent for that? How, how do we even think about that? Right. So one of the most controversial aspects of the White House tax reform plan is to extend the corporate tax rate to what are called pass-through entities. So um, LLCs, limited partnerships that some wealthy families use as estate planning structures. Now, what people could do is take your personal investment account turn yourself into an LLC, and then enjoy that preferable business rate of 15%. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, that there, there really is no argument for not doing that. Um, legal fees. Le I mean, le legal fees, basically. Like and, uh, and we've seen this happen in a handful of states where the states have changed their laws to allow these pass-through entities to benefit from lower business tax rates. And that's exactly what happened. The wealthy people in that state changed their structures, how they were paid, how they organized their assets, so that they were able to benefit from these lower rates. It's even going so far as um, 
having your employer declare you not a W-2 employee but a 1099 contractor. I was just about to make a joke and ask that question. Should I no longer work for Bernstein as Mark Penziner but as like the Mark Penziner Planning Trust? Yes. I mean, under this tax law, that benefits you. And so we've seen that at the state level. It would result in a huge amount of complication and would cut additional revenue from the federal government. So it's hard to see how that stands. A number of our clients get hit with AMT, especially the ones in high state tax. If you're near where we are, New York, New Jersey, high state tax, does AMT stay or does AMT go? That is set for repeal under this proposal. So to completely repeal the AMT, which may have the net effect of lowering some people's rates, but they'd still not get that state income tax deduction that they enjoy under the regular system if they're under the regular system. And the plan now is for the state tax to go away. Is that possible? Is that a negotiating point? What's your take on where that ends up? So, look, what we're telling clients is this could happen. You could have repeal, but that repeal may not actually be permanent because a later administration can come in and reimpose an estate tax after the either 10-year sunset of this bill or even change the tax code around entirely again at some future date. And then do we know if you get grandfathered in or would you have had to pass away during those years? I guess those are all open-ended questions. Right. So our experience is there was one year where there was no estate tax, and this was part of the original Bush tax cuts passed in 2000 where there was 2010 was the year of no estate tax. And if you died within that year and you had to have died within that year, not a day before or a day after, you were able to enjoy not having an estate tax. However, what you did not get the benefit of was a step-up in cost basis. So if you had low basis assets like real estate or stock that you'd held for a really long time, you didn't have the ability to bring that up to market value as part of your estate. Which could be an enormous thing if you've held a stock for 50, 60 years or you've depreciated your real estate. Correct. Yeah, it could result in enormous capital gains tax along the way. So any conclusions as to what your team is telling clients about how to plan in an environment where the rules of the game are clearly changing? Right. So on the estate tax side, our philosophy is only do things that you probably wanted to do anyway. If you do want to give money to your family, if you do want to give money to charities, maybe start to put some of those structures in place, but don't do something that will use your applicable exclusion amount in its entirety in the event that you may need it for future estate planning. So that's our overarching philosophy. So things like installment sales that give money in exchange for some amount of interest with ultimately a principal amount coming back at some point in the future, that is a great strategy because it's using today's low interest rates to leverage the growth of the assets over time and pass assets out of your estate. So it still makes sense to take advantage of the low interest rate environment, even though legislation is up in the air. Absolutely. That's on the estate tax side. On the income tax side, we're doing many of the same strategies that we would do in a typical year by making sure that we're taking long-term gains instead of short-term gains to avoid the additional tax that comes with short-term gains. We're making sure that we're deferring as far as possible the taking of those gains, and towards the end of the year we'll be trading very little and we'll be looking to loss harvest in accounts where there are losses. All of those things are things we would do in the normal course. We will either 
accelerate or um, slow down some of those actions depending on what happens in Washington over the next several months. I think that's a, a great place to wrap it up. A number of these discussions have been focused on uh, the economy, what's going on on Wall Street. This one was much more focused on Washington, D.C., between health care and, and tax reform, and that's probably appropriate given the time in which we live. So with that, I'll say thank you to Tara. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And if you have any questions, reach out, and I look forward to speaking with you all soon. Take care.